Hi, this is Kelly. And this is Jenna. And you're listening to ODFM. Today's episode is One Dinner from Murder. In honor of what will be Thanksgiving this week, because we record ahead of time, Um, but when this airs, it will be the week of Thanksgiving. So I felt like in the spirit of family and um, (laughs) the trauma that that brings, um, I I was like, you know what, I'm going to look up and see what I could find as a Thanksgiving story, right? There is an alarming amount of murders that take place on Thanksgiving. And it's not like, oh, hey, they decided to, to murder somebody and it happened to coincide with Thanksgiving. No, Thanksgiving was the catalyst. You know, <laughs> I, I can actually understand that. I mean, everyone, it surprised you know, me. But then then you think about it and you're yeah. like, hmm. Yeah. Well, and you see all the articles that are starting to come in like, oh, how to deal with family during these holidays and all this and i'm like oh here it comes it's right true everyone struggles oh my gosh yeah this was totally fitting this was, <laughs> this was I, I had to like narrow it down i'm like okay i can't do all of these um there was one story i almost did but there wasn't as much like fun stuff to talk about but Ugh. it was just in general it was a story about an older gentleman i, I think he was like in his 60s or something like that who killed his adult son uh, ah. And the 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 straw that that what is it called that broke the broke camel's the camel back, back was yeah. he wasn't helping him get the house ready for Gus to come over. Well, yeah, for Thanksgiving it was on Thanksgiving, <laughs> and I was like, I feel like my mom, you know, had those thoughts my a couple of times that, when yes. she would you just <laughs> they're going to be here in 45 minutes oh, God. See it, yes right? oh yes um not to say that my mom would ever do something like that i just think that maybe the idea crossed her mind <laughs> a couple <laughs> times so <laughs> i love your mom today's story is actually about uh paul michael merhidge which merhidge Marhage. I, I looked it up to make sure I said it right, but because I keep having a hard time remembering, um, for the most part, I'm just going to refer to him as Paul. Okay. Because I don't want to keep having to remember how to say his name. I'm good with that. So, um, Paul Michael Merhage, who has been given the name the Thanksgiving Day Killer, and some refer to this case as the Thanksgiving Day Massacre. Oh, okay. So, family. Ah, oh, that's <laughs> family. lovely. Memories. Yeah, exactly. This is this is right on par with my um, with my Pictionary story. Seventeen family members gathered for a Thanksgiving celebration at the home of James and Muriel uh, Sitton and their six year old daughter, Michaela. They were hosting. Their home was in an upscale gated community in Jupiter, Florida, which is a beach town about 55 miles north of Miami. Wow. Sounds like a lovely day. Yes. So for three hours, their guests spent time eating dinner together. Then they gathered around the piano and they were doing Christmas songs. Oh, God. Um, I'd be and... horrified. What'd you say? I said I'd be horrified if I had to do that. <laughs> You'd be horrified. Like, oh, my Please God. 
So, so they gathered around the piano and um, Michaela was supposed to be in a performance of the Nutcracker the next day. So she actually put on like a little mini dress rehearsal for them and performed. It was really sweet. So now the festivities are winding down and uh, Paul, who was about 34, 35 at the time, walked out of the house and walked over to his car. And then a few minutes later, he came back into the house and began shooting members of his family. Wow. Just like that. He doesn't like the singing either. He He was like, you suck, you suck, you suck. You should have let me do the bridge. You all suck. I don't know if the nutcracker triggered him. If there's like, I don't know. (laughs) What the Um, hell? I hate that show. Next time, let him Um, sing the chorus. Jesus. Right. If he wants to do the solo, you let him do the solo. Jesus. Um, Okay. So Paul Michael Merhage was born in 1974. So he's our. Oh, hello. <laughs> yeah. What up, Paul? Um, he was he was born to um, Carol and Michael Merhage. He had twin sisters, Carla and Lisa. They were just a few years younger than him. Okay. He grew up in the Miami suburbs. He graduated third in his class from Gulliver Prep, which was wow. a private school for Miami's upper class families. The upper class. Oh. So he yes he played football and baseball and is that soccer. how his mom talked? I I can imagine her now. <laughs> I don't know. His classmates described him as driven, mature, handsome, and he was thought to be personable but quiet. Huh? He sounds very perfect. Watch out for those quiet. Yeah, this is why I'm not quiet. <laughs> Nobody will watch out That's for why? me. Yeah. <laughs> That's your cover? It's my cover. It's unassuming. Nobody will know. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. That makes total sense. Yeah. So when he graduated in 1992 at the age of 17, an entire page of his yearbook was dedicated to, as a, as a message of love and thanks to his family. Which, wow. From damn, him. Right? Okay. Yeah, from him. Wow. Um, yeah. From him to his family. It wasn't like where they were like talking about him and how No. There were photos of him with his parents and sisters as they were babies. And these are direct quotes from the from the pages. Mom and dad, thank you for all you've given me. Lisa and Carla, I've been so lucky to be blessed with twin sisters and being your protective older brother. We may fight a lot, but that's only because we love each other so much and would not trade it for the world. Thanks to my two grandmothers, grandfather, aunts and uncles, my cousins, all 32 of us in the family for all the support strength and courage to see all that lies ahead i love you now and will forever that's yeah. kind i don't think my 16 year old would have such nice things to say about right. me right now um and i do feel like that's a little unusual yeah to to go into that much depth and stuff like that mm-hmm. um so i don't know if that's kind of like a hmm. Hmm, that doesn't sound normal a red flag what's to come is not yeah. so normal either <laughs> but just Two short years later, Paul had what his mother referred to as a nervous breakdown while attending the University of Miami, where he was an honors student. I can't imagine why. He feels he's got so much like on his shoulders. <laughs> Holy right. balls. You must be perfect. Um, according to I cannot make this up, Kevin Beaver. <laughs> you have all the good names. <laughs> I get all the good names. Kevin Beaver. A professor at Florida State University, mental illness often comes out in college. Pre-existing conditions are triggered by stress and drastic life changes. I can totally attest to that. Yes, <laughs> yeah, totally. makes sense. This is going to come into play big time. His his mental his mental illness versus 
just pure like uh, social social being a sociopath. I can't oh, say it. Why sociopath. can't I say sociopath? Okay. So, thank yeah. you. That's the yeah. word. Sociopath. Like this. This is gonna like come back and forth in this story. So obviously he had some some mental illness. However, there was at least one incident indicating that Paul may have had violent tendencies from a young age. Nice. Someone close to their family reported that once, when Paul was about 13, he had pulled out a loaded gun and pointed it at his terrified family members. Well, yeah. why does he that's, have a loaded gun? That's a great the... question. Where did he get a loaded yeah. gun at 13? Where, you know. Huh. Jesus. Interesting, right? Yeah, therapy. Mm-hmm. After withdrawing from college, Paul's mental state continued to deteriorate. He suffered from insomnia, obesity, and was increasingly preoccupied and distraught over his receding hairline. This was a huge <laughs> focus for him. This was this I was, was like, big. Thinking it was going to be someone in his family died, or yeah, no, no, his hair, his hair was dying. Okay, yeah, that was that was that, the struggle. That is a struggle, <laughs> right? He was diagnosed with severe depression and obsessive compulsive disorder. He was constantly bathing and shaving. I don't know what he was shaving because it wasn't on his head. <laughs> Maybe that's, that. that's not the receding <laughs> so, hairline. Stop shaving it. Right. It'll come back if it's <laughs> right, stuff. Exactly. So he was, he had a known fear of germs. He never wore shorts and he lives in Miami. Yeah. Like, it's that, not like it's cool there <laughs> and it's humid. Never wore shorts. He struggled to make decisions, which as do I, but yeah. but he was unable to hold a job. So he never had wow. a job in his entire life. He continued to live at home and be fully supported by his parents. Yikes. Oh. So didn't graduate. So oh. Apparently he was like on his way in high school. Yeah, it like, sounds like he was doing so good, that yeah. kid. And that then sucks. that's it, you know? Uh. At one point, I didn't have dates. I couldn't find dates. I just found incidents. At one point, he stopped taking his prescribed medication and shot himself in a suicide attempt. Holy shit. Obviously, he, he was not successful. Yeah. But also, again, why do, are there guns available to yeah. this person? Yeah. You know? And does it say where he shot himself? Like, tried through the head? No, or? it didn't say where. Mm -mm. Ooh. So, okay. yeah. So he did not, uh, but it, it didn't work. Let's see. He routinely threatened to kill his sisters. Uh, once he told his sister Lisa that he was going to slit her throat. Oh, yeah. See, this uh, is not the same love that I I was yeah. in the. I don't know. My brother always was, right? threatened to kill me too. I think we threatened to kill each other a ton, but that was when we were tiny. Right. <laughs> Probably not you, as grown ups. You didn't plot out the way. It was no. just more like I'm going to kill you. Like you know, don't yeah. touch my stuff. Yeah. Not. I'm actually planning the method. Yeah. <laughs> you don't know that. There are court records that show that he once requested a restraining order against one of his sisters, accusing her of trying to kill him. Hmm. But then he dropped it a few weeks later. So he thought his sisters were trying to kill him. Whoa, paranoid schizophrenic. Right? Mm -hmm. Medical records reveal that Paul had been involuntarily committed to mental hospitals three times. Oh, man. He, rec he received shock therapy Ugh. and that he talked about dreaming of killing family members. God, they were still doing shock therapy at that time? Holy cow. Right? Then in 2006, just three years before this fateful Thanksgiving, his sister Carla filed and then withdrew right away a restraining order against him saying that he threatened to kill her and himself. So this was like Whoa. an ongoing 
Uh, right. I don't think I'd come visit. <laughs> I can't stay right? away. I was like, you know, guys, do your own Thanksgiving. So in the weeks before what would be known as the Thanksgiving massacre, Paul spent $2,000 on at least four guns and ammunition in two gun shops, which... Wasn't this after they had started the mental health yeah. checks? Yeah. Oh, after that, Four. after he'd been committed, after there'd been restraining orders, after... Also, he has no money. He's completely supported by his parents. Uh, Where did he get two grand to go and buy guns? Hmm. Um, allowance. Oh, <laughs> your chores, Paul. That is quite the allowance, man. I mean, I realize, you know, at this point, he's like in his 30s. So, uh, you know, if you get a, a bump in your allowance every year. Yeah, maybe he's getting a pretty 30, good. it's probably pretty decent, right? I mean. It's a full on yeah. salary at that point. Yeah, <laughs> right? exactly. I'm going to need benefits too. I'm going to need sick days and, you know. Oh, God. So, oh, he even asked, he asked for a scope to be attached to a bolt action Remington 700 rifle saying that he wanted to use it for hunting. Hmm. In, mm-hmm. On the shores of Miami. <laughs> yeah, right? There's a lot of hunting going on. I want to get those little deer. Whatever those right. tiny deer they have out there. Oh, I know. <laughs> oh, and he withdrew $12,000 in cash from the bank and bought a cover that goes over his car. Oh. What? <laughs> okay. What? These are just suspicious things to be buying for someone who just lives at home. $12,000? kind of cover? We talking like armor? <laughs> no, I think like, like people I actually can... have a, a nice car, like a, like a sports right. car or something, and they want to put a cover over it to like I just keep didn't it. think it would cost that much. I would have thought that'd be like maybe a hundred bucks, but... Oh no, he just 12, took 000. out the cash. No, oh. he didn't buy oh. That was just one oh, of the That's why I was like, is it armor? Kelly's like, this is a diamond Jesus. encrusted cover. <laughs> I was like, whoa, it's like a shield. <laughs> invisibility cloak. Those things are cheap. It was like an invisibility cloak, exactly. Oh my God. <laughs> okay, so he did all this stuff ahead of time. Cause you know, they, they this also comes into play. Cause you know, they're gonna talk about his, his mental states. Yes. But you know, oh usually people who have a poor mental state, premeditation isn't usually part of it. And this is clearly something that he's been planning and thinking about for years. So, okay, so Paul had been asking his parents for days about the Thanksgiving gathering. Oh, he's super excited. But where's Thanksgiving? Where are we having it? Right, he's really into it, right? Uh-oh. He, he never committed to attending though. He never said he was coming. He just kind of hmm. was asking, so what's going on for Thanksgiving? Where's everybody getting together, right? His parents never even alerted the hosts, Jim and Muriel Sitton, that their son might attend. So they were really thinking he wasn't going to show. Okay. They didn't even say anything. Jim Sitton uh, told police that his wife's cousin, Paul, was always on the fringe of of family life and rarely attended family gatherings, Uh, which is probably why his parents were like, "Yeah, he's not coming. He's just asking. He had only met Paul twice and hadn't seen him in more than a decade. He didn't think anything of it at first when Paul called his father's cell phone to say he was on his way and needed directions. Jim was like, huh. Paul's He's actually going to show up. But Paul's mother, Carol, recalled telling her daughter, Lisa, that day, quote, I hope he doesn't come and kill us all tonight. Oh, wow. <laughs> right? And to that, Lisa replied, Mom, it came to my mind, but don't say that to Dad because Dad <laughs> would get upset that we had such ideas. Yeah. Holy crap. Don't bring attention to the fact that 
this kid is scary enough that we need to worry about something like that. Right. Oh. Right? Yikes. That they actually had a conversation about it. That's disturbing. According to Jim, he was the, the host of the, of the Thanksgiving, Paul sat quietly and ate nothing during during dinner. He just He just sat there. And then, you know, they did the songs and stuff. It doesn't sound like he participated. He just sat quietly. Judging. Judging. Yeah, judging. (laughs) Right? Planning. Well, suck. Right. Later, he went outside, removed a gun from his car, and came back. And moments later, without a word, opened fire. Paul killed four people and injured several more that day. His sisters, Carla and Lisa, who were both 33, were dead. His sister, Lisa, was married to a man named Patrick Knight. She was pregnant at the time. Her husband, Patrick, was critically injured, but he would survive. But he spent months in a medically induced coma. He shot his 76-year-old aunt, Raymond Joseph. What? Um, mm -hmm. And his 52-year-old cousin, Clifford Berbera, was grazed by a bullet. And his cousin's six-year-old daughter, Michaela, was dead. The little girl with the nutcracker. Mm-hmm. What a dick. Paul reportedly looked at his father and said, I've been waiting 20 years to do this. Mm-hmm. Oh. Right? Uh, this part, okay, this is where it gets really crazy. When he shot his elderly aunt in the shoulder, her husband, who was a doctor, like cowered on the ground next to her, trying to stop the bleeding. But Paul walked up, held the gun to her chest, and fired again, oh. blowing a hole in her sternum. God. Then he aimed the gun at his uncle Antone's, Antone is his name, pointed the gun at his uncle's head, except that uh, the shot that he fired into his aunt's sternum jammed the gun and it wouldn't fire. He tried to shoot his uncle in the head twice. Oh my God. Right, point blank, right there. Then Paul had to go down the hall and into Michaela's room because she had already been tucked into bed and was asleep. Oh my God. To shoot her. He had to, like, like right, search her out. Purposely search her out. He Jesus. purposely, I, they say they think it, they speculate it's because he sat there and watched how much joy she was oh. bringing to their family. <clears throat> and he was jealous. Right. Jesus, dude, grow up. So he went into her room. He shot the girl in her bed, walked out of the room, hesitated for a second, then went back and shot her two more times. Good the little six year old. He left her with a bullet in her back, another in her hip, and one more in her head. Then he calmly walked out of the house, got in his car, and drove off. Where did he think he was gonna go? Like, I'm just... Yeah, no, he just, he just left. Huh. Okay. So I thought this would be a good time for a break. Yeah. Because we could all use a drink. Holy shit. I could use a drink. I could use a drink. All right. So after leaving the Sittens' home, Paul drove off in his blue Toyota Camry, which he's got a car too. Like his parents totally set him up. Like he, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. why? I don't know. Why a Camry? Why not a Porsche? Because <laughs> yeah, you know what? He got a cover for it. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So he drives off and he vanished for six days before arriving in the Florida Keys. It doesn't take six days. To I was get to the try- I was like, wow, so- I didn't know it was that long. <laughs> no, it wasn't. He just, they, they don't know where he was, was during those, those six days. Okay. But then he shows up in the Florida Keys. He checked into the Edgewater Lodge on Long Key, 
under the name John Baca. Hmm. He prepaid for a two-week stay in cash, and then he holed up in the in room 14 with canned soup and his laptop and didn't Great. come back out. Oh my God. <laughs> right? So that happened Thanksgiving. And then six days later would have been like beginning of December. And so now it's Saturday, January 2nd. He reportedly watched America's Most Wanted on the television in his hotel room because the episode was featuring an in-depth report about the massive search for him. So he was watching. He knew they were looking for him. So he's finally getting the fame. I guess so, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He had barricaded <laughs> one door to his room with a bar and he had partially blocked a sliding glass door with a mattress. Because that's gonna keep <laughs> Also, not gonna look suspicious that a mattress no, not is- Not at all. <laughs> That was kind of odd. When he heard an ambulance pass by on the main road outside with its sirens blaring, Paul reportedly cut the lights to his room and turned off the TV. And then he waited till the sirens had passed to turn them back on. So he was totally aware that, that you know, they were him. looking yeah. for him, right? What he didn't know was just an hour earlier, hotel owners, Paul and Melinda Pfaff. I don't know how to say this. It's P-F-A-F-F. Pfaff? Pfaff. The poof <laughs> stick of that dog with the teeth that stick out from the <laughs> yes. super long. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, okay. Paul and Melinda, who own the hotel, yes. yeah, they. Um, Paul was watching the football game on TV when he saw a preview of America's Most Wanted that was coming on later, Ooh. and he recognized Whoa. one of the guests at his hotel. So he tells Melinda, his wife. She goes on the America most America's Most Wanted website to verify that the photo oh my looks God. like the guy, right? And they're like, yeah. She went to, to verify that the, the guy they saw in the commercial was in fact the man staying at their hotel. And then she called police. <laughs> this was kind of funny. Melinda stated, I called in the tip and the dispatcher said, how sure are you on a scale of one to 10? And I said, a 10, you need to get here now. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm a 10. Get your ass Come here. now. Right, exactly. She even went and checked his car in the parking lot. So he had parked his car in the resort's parking lot Whoa. and it was under the cover. Oh, that's right? under the cover. Wow. Exactly, right? So she did go there and, and, and look at it, which was a little risky. You know, yeah. You could have seen her snooping around his car. And the license plates did not match the car they were looking for, mm. but the description of the car matched. And when they looked up the plates, they came back as being registered to Michael Merhinge, Paul's oh, father. Wow. So, so he had taken the time to swap out license Right. There's, I, I'm, this is somebody who really yeah. thought about what they were doing. He sounds smart enough he could have had a job instead of flaking right. all those years. Exactly. U.S. Marshals started surrounding and quietly evacuating the small waterfront lodge. After 10 p.m., so just after the episode end, ended, I don't think that part was planned. It just oh, happens I was like, ooh. Happened. I don't think they were like, okay, and they're rolling credits. Yes, go. we, like, we just want to let him watch the rest of his show, you know. <laughs> right, exactly. Let's let him finish the end, you know. So after 10 p.m., a Marshall's task force smashed through the sliding glass door of room 14 because the mattress didn't The mattress shit. didn't. <laughs> like, didn't. Was, How did that not keep them out? And Paul's like, oh, man, I really thought that was going to work. that was going to work. Mattress isn't as tough as I thought. Um, he was sitting in front of his computer. He got up and ran for the bathroom, but ultimately he stuck out his hands and pleaded for his life. He was arrested after 38 days on the run. He made it 38 days after that. I can't believe he made it that long. That's insane. I know, right? Yeah. So, because he had a plan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. This wasn't a, he really got triggered by the nutcracker and went you out know. and said, I have a gun in the car. Like, no, he had this, 
He had a plan, man. Your dance um, triggered me. Oh, this was good. America's most wanted cameras were filming as the federal marshals smashed through the door. Wow. Um, which was kind of smart of them because they were like, oh, snap. Yeah. He's going to be watching our episode. We're going to film it. Then wow. we're going to have like a, a follow-up story. Mm -hmm. So as, as law enforcement was walking him out, Paul actually stopped and spoke directly to the camera, which I'm sure his future lawyer was like, dude. Dumbass. <laughs> yeah. So, so much for planning ahead. So this is what he said. This is quote, 18 years I've been tormented. I've had chronic medical problems, mental problems. It's been a nightmare. I didn't even know what I was doing. It was the only thing I could do. I went several times to turn myself in. I was waiting for my parents to maybe make a statement and tell me to turn myself in. I didn't know what to do. And today, right now, watching on my TV, my cousin, I didn't know. I've been waiting. I didn't know what to do. I just can't believe I've done all this. I just can't believe it. Um, that's weird. So he left his parents alive so that they could see him being famous. Murder maybe. his sisters and yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Like, punish them? I, I don't know, man. Like, and some of the stuff he said right there... Tormented. Was it for the benefit of saying... So he could say he was mentally ill? Or was he really... I don't know, man. Yeah. I... Some of that's just a little... Yeah. Marshalls found a piece of cord tied in a noose along with three small helium tanks, a plastic hood, and a rubber hose. Tools mm. that appeared could be assembled into a so-called suicide bag so yeah. that he could suffocate himself. Mm. They found that in his room. Which but again, never, it's a lot of pre-planning. Yeah, <clears throat> but he never did it. But he didn't so do it, like right? he wanted to see right? what would happen. Uh, what a weirdo. Records show that he rambled on during his police interrogation and implicated himself in the murders without directly discussing them. Hmm. I don't know exactly what that means or how he said it, but... Like the third person. If yeah, right. Or if Paul had wanted to... Right, his and family. Paul would have, right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I don't really understand how that works, but I'm like, okay, this is what, um, this is a quote from uh, the police er interrogation. Paul said, it's impossible, you know, to reconcile what happened with me. It's just, it's not even real. I'm not violent. I've never been violent. I'm not a criminal, I'm not a criminal or a drug addict. It's just unbelievable what I've done to everybody. You're I right, dude. It is. <laughs> that part's true. As yeah. far as not violence, um... Yeah. I, am, I remember when you were 13 and yeah, you had that handgun. You know, that was a little violent. Um, right? Yeah. Then he asked a police officer if he would be facing, quote, a long process. <laughs> I, I thought that was weird. Uh, probably. Um, he asked a year, two years. He was told that the wait for a trial could be lengthy. So he asked... What about afterwards? What's the worst case scenario for this? Uh. <laughs> right? It's kind of odd. And uh, FYI, the state's attorney's office did announce that they would be seeking the death penalty. So I guess yeah. that's the worst so, case scenario? Yeah. If that answers you your question. Think? I don't know. Right? Let's see. An article from the South Florida Sun Sentinel reported that while sitting in the Palm, the Palm Beach County Jail, Paul called his father collect at home, begging for forgiveness. He told his father, I think about them. I think about heaven, you know. I think about them constantly. I don't know how I could have done what I've done to everybody, everybody I've hurt. 
and this was like a recorded phone conversation because he called from the jail. His father, who sounded dry and defeated, understand? Yeah, um, responded by saying, "We have nothing. You have nothing. It's a total nightmare. Our lives have changed forever." Like and he doesn't Paul came back quite with get that. Yeah, yeah. Are you not getting? Oh my God! Paul comes back with. Hopefully after the case, hopefully I get sent to a hospital. I don't think he wanted to go to jail. I think he was hoping he was going to be in a hospital, which also makes me wonder some of the stuff that he did to make himself look like he could use the insanity defense, you know? This is where I thought we could take another quick break because the story is going to take a weird turn in a minute. I like weird turns. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. So I know we've been telling you guys for a while about the shop in Northern Colorado called Thistle. It's also online and you guys, there's so much stuff that's about to launch before the holidays. Yes, I am super thankful for the guy section with so many unique finds. The men in my life are so difficult to buy for. I always find something they love at Thistle. Me too. There's literally something for everyone, even kiddos. And with the holidays just around the corner, now is the time to snatch up goodies before they're gone. Thistle loves ODFM so much that they are offering our listeners 10% off their purchase when using the code ODFM at checkout. That's at thistlewellington.com. That's T-H-I-S-T-L-E-W-E-L-L-I-N-G-T-O-N.com. Or pop by in person in downtown Wellington, Colorado. Paul Merhing, Merhidge, Paul. Paul. <laughs> Paul pleaded not guilty to four counts of first degree murder and three counts not of attempted first degree murder. That's what he pleaded. His attorney, Carrie. Okay, it kind of looks like Hogwarts, but I know that's not what it is. <laughs> Hogwarts? I don't know. His attorney, pause, <laughs> planned to use an insanity defense and to call experts on schizophrenia and obsessive compulsive disorder, which I, you know, you kind of. We saw that coming. We saw that coming a while ago, right? Yeah, we knew. So he pled not guilty by reason of insanity. Okay, this is where it starts to get. You know, we were talking about family and the stress of family and all this. Oh, this is where it's going to get a little wonky. Okay. <clears throat> although he killed, although he killed both of their daughters and their unborn grandchild, Paul's parents still supported their son after his arrest, claiming he was mentally ill. Records show that only Paul's father visited visited him in jail. His mother did not. Wow. I feel like this might be a case of, I like where there's parents who like just their kid can do no wrong. Yeah. I mean, he shot up Thanksgiving. Yeah. He <laughs> shot At some fam. point, you have to be like, hmm. Something's wrong, dude. You need to- <sighs> Okay, here we go. In 2000, in 2011, while waiting for Paul to, still, to go to trial, Jim and Muriel Sitton, the hosts of the Thanksgiving celebration, oh, yeah. filed a civil lawsuit against Paul's parents. Whoa. The lawsuit claimed that in a series of emails, it is clear that they invited their 35-year-old son to the family gathering without alerting the Sittons, and that when he opened fire, they did nothing to stop him. Yeah, that is weird. But Okay, right? <clears throat> so at first I was like, wait, but then then there's more stuff in the in the um in the lawsuit. It described the father, Michael, as an ex-CIA agent 
who presumably presumably had weapons training, which is, I wonder how there were guns in the house? Yeah, interesting. Maybe. But also, if he was an ex-CIA agent, wouldn't he know to keep them under lock and key? Yeah, and, keep, and you know. Know how yeah, to so that's, take them away from somebody? Exactly. In a situation. So they said that he could have done something, especially when Paul's gun jammed, oh, which yeah. happened like after he shot his aunt and it jammed and he tried to kill his uncle. Yeah. Oh, it jammed. And then he had to walk down the hallway to oh. get to the little girl's room. So like that was an opportunity to do something. And it's stated in the lawsuit that Michael was the only guest who was carrying a cell phone that day. And he didn't call the police. Whoa. That like is... during all this, like I realized maybe it probably happened really fast and he yeah. was in shock, but like dial 911. <laughs> and what uh, what were the sittins doing? Sitting? <laughs> How long <laughs> have you been waiting to say that? <laughs> <laughs> well, were you just sitting? They were just sitting. Because <laughs> <laughs> you'd think somebody would get up and do something. But... Well, you'd think somebody, right. I mean, yeah. there's 17 people there and one guy with a gun. Yeah. <laughs> but. Anyway, somebody jump in. Part uh oh here, this was part of it. Excuse me, sorry. Are you burping? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Okay. I needed a moment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> God. Muriel Sitton didn't just lose her six-year-old daughter that day. Her mother was murdered as well. Her mom was the aunt oh. that Paul shot. Okay. Her father, Doctor Anton Joseph who was spared when the gun jammed, her dad and Paul's mom were brother and sister. Oh, I got it. Okay. So Muriel was his first cousin. And then Michaela was her daughter. So that would have been like second cousin. I don't really totally know how that works. So their attorney, David Prather, said that the Merhins, the family, the parents, knew that knew of their mentally disturbed son's propensity for violence. It stated that when he lived with them, they slept with their bedroom door locked because they feared him. Oh, Mm -hmm. my. Further, they knew he had stopped taking his medication to control his demons. I thought was a weird way to say Uh, that, but anyway. But he wasn't on his meds. And yet they invited him to the gathering anyway. I feel like they have like those blockers. Like they just cannot see. Uh, It's fine. He's been around 30 years. He's... People now call that spirited. He's spirited. He's spirited. (laughs) He's spirited. Yes. As in possessed by the devil. Um, (laughs) That's the demons. So their now former son-in-law, Patrick Knight, who was shot in the stomach and spent nearly three months in a coma, returned to his law practice. He was a lawyer. Um, And he was stated as saying, there's nothing unusual about the lawsuit. Quote, while the facts surrounding it are horrific, in the legal world, it's a classic wrongful death failure to warn case. So apparently the fact that they sued the parents was not totally unheard of, yeah. strange, I guess. Okay. Um, like the Sittens, uh, Patrick no longer uh, speaks with the, his former in-laws. None of them spoke. Apparently not once after Thanksgiving did Paul's parents reach out to the Sittens. Now that would have been like her niece and her like great niece yeah. would have been the, the oh. child. No, they never they never even called That's her or anything. bizarre. Patrick Knight said that um, they visited him in the hospital, but he broke off contact with them when he learned that they were supporting their son. Yeah. He said, quote, I don't speak to them at all. They're supporting the murderer. So, oh I mean, he killed 
his, I mean, Patrick's wife and unborn child. I mean, you know, Uh, and apparently killing two of your three kids is not enough to make them finally go, yeah, we're not going to side. You know, oh my God, like classic, like firstborn son. Yeah. Yeah. Can do no wrong. That's what I was going to say too. The son probably. Right. Exactly. Rose and set around him. Mm -hmm. In the lawsuit, the Sittons claimed that they only learned Paul was coming to the Thanksgiving celebration when Muriel overheard a cell phone conversation between Paul and his father as she was putting dinner on the table. Yikes. So her husband, Jim, I had said that earlier in the story, her husband, Jim, said that and thought it was just weird because, you know, he's actually showing up. But Muriel apparently was shocked. She hadn't seen her cousin in more than 12 years and she knew he was prone to violence. Oh, The suit also claimed that in 2008, which was a, I think it was the previous year, because this happened in 2009. In 2008, her father, Dr. Anton Joseph, the uncle Mm -hmm. that, that you know, was spared. Almost died, yeah. Barred Paul from attending Thanksgiving dinner when they were hosting it, because Paul was known to be violent towards his own mother, which was his sister, like Anton's sister. He was like, you know, I don't want him here. He knew that he threatened his own sisters. And uh, he knew that Lisa had told her mother-in-law that she was afraid Paul was going to kill her and her sister. And that it also states in the claim that Paul's behavior was kind of a morbid family joke. It it had been going on so much so long that it was like a, it was a joke. It was like a, uh. How long until he kills us all type of joke? Right? Yeah, exactly. Oh. Paul's going to shoot everybody up someday. Like, you know. Ah. Ultimately, Paul decided to take a plea deal to avoid the death penalty less than three months before his case was going to go to trial. So I guess once the death penalty was there and it didn't sound like he was going to be going to a a cushy little mental hospital, he was like, all right, I'll take a plea deal. This was weird. Sitting at this hearing with his mouth slightly open, Paul told the judge that while he was taking a number of antipsychotic and antidepressant judge, he was lucid enough to decide he wanted to plead guilty. Hmm. He was sentenced to seven consecutive terms of life in prison. So that guy ain't getting out. Good. And he's not going to some cushy little, I, I don't I don't think a mental hospital is what he needs. But this is where we get more into the good family stuff. So the Sittens lost their civil suit against the Paul's wow. parents. They appealed, but the appellate court upheld the initial ruling stating, and I get this, to say that the parents are legally responsible for their son's horrific conduct would set a troubling precedent that would only serve to alienate mentally ill people from their families in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I get it. I, I feel like in this case, like the parents were really turning a blind yeah. eye, but I get that yeah. that would have had put mm-hmm. towards other extremes. Patrick Knight also filed a lawsuit against his former in-laws for failing to prevent the killings, including the death of his wife oh. and, uh, and unborn Maybe. child. And it was rejected twice. Wow. So, yeah. So, see how this this really brought everybody together. You know how tragedy brings people together? Yeah. That did not happen here. <laughs> um, I had to divide it. This one was the one, this was the icing on the cake. Uh-oh. After the civil suit failed twice, and then the, fo- the son-in-law's suit failed, Paul's parents filed a countersuit against the Sittens in 2011. I was like... Are you serious? Alleging that the Sittens were to blame for the tragedy. Because they had the party? 
What the heck they It do. stated, I, I, I cannot, this is the kind of shit I can't make up, right? Because if they had not allowed Paul into their home, he wouldn't have been able to open fire oh, on the guests. Oh, come on. Is it, I, uh, I was like, really? The Merhigs, Mer Merhinges, Paul's parents' attorney, <laughs> stated that quote, to the extent Paul had problems, the entire family knew that. If the Sittens were concerned he was going to be a problem that day, then they should have stopped them. It was um, their house. They should have protected their family as well as the Merhig family if they were concerned. Oh, please. So put it on them to be the rude ones instead so of... So ju for, just for future reference, Kelly, if you're hosting a holiday at your house, yeah. just know that if something should go wrong, it is your job to protect everyone. Oh, like, okay. Right? So be ready. You might have to like tell everyone to duck and cover. Like, I, <laughs> I might have to I, attack seriously? people. Yeah, seriously. Exactly. I was like, are you serious? Hey, what's that next to you by your plate? Oh, you know, don't worry about that. It's just a taser. Just in case yeah, shit just goes in wrong. Case. Just, in, just in case Pictionary gets really <laughs> heated. I have <laughs> I got my stun gun, my taser. Right? I'm like, That's are ridiculous. you serious? Oh, the lawsuit also claimed that Jim Sitton had defamed them with oh. their unfair, with unfair and untrue statements about the couple saying that they invited Paul to dinner without notifying other members of the family, knowing his reputation for the violence. Oh, so God. they were mad that they were passing on. Oh, that they put on some heat on them. That's right. nice. They also named in the suit Dr. Antone Joseph, the uncle, what? the uncle who lost yeah. his granddaughter and Aww. his wife, right? And his nieces. Douchebags. And almost died. Stating that he apparently had treated Paul and therefore was well aware of his mental instability as well as the rest of the family. So like they're going to put him on a family, right? So maybe he did them like a favor, like, hey, I'm a, and I don't know, it didn't say if he's a, a, a medical doctor or a psychiatric doctor or whatever, but he had treated Paul. Yeah. Who knows? He could have, they could have meant that like he got stitches once and he sewed them up. Like, I don't know what that means. Um, <laughs> right? I mean. <laughs> Stupid. God. So he should have known. So literally it was like, it's everybody else's fault. Yeah. But the guy that killed everybody. So then when you think about all that, I'm sitting there going, all right, so how much of this, I totally don't believe that there's either a genetic component to mental illness or an environmental. I think right. it has to be, like it has to come together in a perfect storm. Mm -hmm. And this was totally, he obviously had some kind of yeah, genetics sort of trauma towards too. this, right? Yeah. But then he was raised in a family where obviously he could do no wrong, right? And everybody knew that. And he never had to work a day in his life and he didn't have to support himself. Mm -hmm. And I just like, wow. how much when he was really, really little of the whole, like, you can do no wrong helped yeah. him. That. I don't know, I man. Know. No, totally. So, Ugh, that's so anyway, so the point of the story is happy Thanksgiving to everybody. <laughs> Enjoy getting together with your families and celebrating. Uh -oh. Don't invite some certain people because you might get in trouble if right. they end up killing everyone. Jesus. Right. So if you're concerned, make sure you have a taser. Um, uh, possibly a room where you could lock somebody up if necessary. Good um, idea. Yes. You know, just 
you gotta be prepared. You gotta be prepared. You gotta make sure you have extra food in case someone, an unexpected guest shows up. You gotta make sure that you have extras and also protection. Yeah, my, my, I'm always uh, ready with extra booze, but I didn't realize I needed all the other things. <laughs> Maybe they didn't have extra booze. That could have been it. They weren't relaxed enough. Mm-hmm. Paul uh-huh. needed, Paul needed a shot before he came mm-hmm. over. Seriously. Good God. Hmm. So how's that for Thanksgiving, huh? Yeah, I'm I'm kind of hoping I don't have a Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> <laughs> right? So, yeah, right? Home. So, okay, let's let's hope no more come after this. <laughs> this is <laughs> like your warning. Do not Jeez. let it happen. Oh, thank well, you for thank listening. Thank you for listening, everyone. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> Eat, be sure to wear your sweats so you can and a sweat. Bullet- bulletproof yeah. uh, something Bullet underneath. Something would be good, yeah. Right. Try Just not plates. to ruminate on this story as you're sitting at dinner. <laughs> Looking at your relatives. Eyeing, eyeing everybody who might have a grudge. Which one of you brought your gun right. today? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good God. I can't, you know. Don't so, do it. Anyways. All right. Thanks everybody for listening to our morbid Thanksgiving story. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> you make it sound like Goodbye forever. Forever. <laughs> I hope you come oh, back God. after Thanksgiving. I hope, I hope you see us. We don't want to lose any listeners. <laughs> no, definitely not like that. Oh, good God. Okay. okay. All right. So sources for this story include the palmbeachpost.com, abcnews.go.com, thesunsentinel.com, fox29wflx.com, Murderpedia.com and Gizmodo.com. To see images from this story, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at ODFM Podcast or on our website at ODFMPodcast.com, where you'll also find a link to our merch store where you can get awesome stuff like t shirts, mugs, stickers, and more. And if the weekly podcast just isn't enough to fill your ODFM cup full, Join our fan club on Patreon for more content like minisodes, bloopers, and discounts at our merch store. That site is patreon.com slash ODFM podcast. And if you do love our bloopers and need more than we naturally do, which is a lot, buy us a glass of wine at buymeacoffee.com slash ODFM podcast. Thanks for listening to another episode of ODFM. Hosted by Kelly DeVries and Jenna Swanson. Production and editing by Kelly DeVries. Theme music by Eric Swanson. ODFM is a satirical true crime podcast for entertainment purposes only. The stories you hear are serious and true. The comments and opinions are not. We apologize if any of our content is harmful or disrespectful.